the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon. It is a Tuesday, Tuesday, the 14th of November. With the weather in the high 60 degrees, just about 70. I mean, oh my goodness, it's such nice weather, but very strange for November. Good afternoon once more. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger here with you all week. From 3 to 4, of course, host of the Jimmy Sangenberger Show every Saturday morning from 6 to 9. Here on 710 KNUS, our telephone number, 303-696-1971. You can also text into the show on the 710 KNUS app on your smartphone. Name in town, name in town, if you wish to text in, please. And... You can email me, 247-365-710KNUS.com. Go to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show page, and there's my website, jimmysangenberger.com. Your one-stop shop for all things Jimmy, jimmysangenberger.com. All E's all the time. No A-I or U in Sangenberger. Once you know that, Sangenberger is easy. So... This hour, we've got lots to do. You're welcome to join the conversation, 303-696-1971. Again, our telephone number. We will be joined by E.J. Antoni in the next segment. He is with the Heritage Foundation. We're going to get the latest on Bidenflation and what's really going on there. CNBC has a little bit of the skinny on that. What I would consider potentially the most important, even though it's ex-food and energy, is year-over-year CPI, 4%. One-tenth lighter than we were expecting, one-tenth lighter than our last look, which was 4.1. And the metric there, and this is a biggie, we haven't been under 4%. Since May of 2021. Yes, under 4% since May of 2021. Wow, this is stunning. We'll talk about it with EJ Antoni coming up. But first, you know, when Colorado voters went ahead and legalized recreational marijuana in 2012, they never foresaw that state tax dollars meant for schools. Remember, when it was voted in in 2012, voters thought the money was going to go to the schools, the tax dollars from pot. They had no idea that money meant for schools would end up funneling into pot shop proprietors' pockets. How's that for some alliteration? Through low-interest loans. But alas, Colorado now has a cannabis business office that was established in 2021 legislation that is now deploying $4 million from the marijuana tax cash fund. That is the tax money from pot. Primarily backing, wait for it, so-called social equity companies. 
And as I write in the Denver Gazette, really wanted to share this afternoon. The nexus between the inception of this loan program and one initial beneficiary, an influential elected official with close ties to Governor Polis, demands serious scrutiny. So the Colorado Cannabis Business Office, under the auspices of the Office of Economic Development and International Trade, the governor's office of OEDIT, unveiled this cannabis business loan program in September, offering loans between $50,000 and $150,000 with a low interest cap of just 6.25%. Now, under the law that established this in 2021, Senate Bill 111, qualified applicants have to have a social equity license. Now, this social equity license was established in 2020, the year before, to support purportedly unprivileged, underprivileged groups particularly black and brown marijuana entrepreneurs. Now, the first two awardees are notable, and that gets to the point of this discussion. One of them was IDY Distributors, which is a distribution company for pot. And then there's a dispensary called Simply Pure, which is co-owned by University of Colorado Regent for Denver, Wanda James. One of the first two given out, loans given out in September from the state. According to the press release of the Cannabis Business Office, Simply Pure's loan will be used to complete an exterior remodel, begin delivery services with Puff Pass, which is, quote, a black-owned social equity company, and boost their online search engine presence and digital marketing. All this expected to generate an estimated monthly revenue increase of between $20,000 and $30,000. Now, interestingly, this CBO press release, by the way, never mentions Wanda James by name. Now, James is a trailblazing figure in the recreational marijuana industry, having co-founded Simply Pure in 2014 with her husband, Scott Dura. And she became the first black woman to own a legal recreational pot shop. She also, by the way, happens to be a friend and mentor to Tay Anderson, the outgoing school board member in Denver. In July 2020, she also formally established, I think, filing under the auspices of her uh, consulting LLC, Grapefruit Consulting, Black, Brown and Red Badged LLC with the Secretary of State. Now, this organization was supposedly intended to advocate for marijuana businesses of color. Interestingly, by the way, the organization was dissolved. She dissolved it with the Secretary of State in February of 2023. Now, here's where things get interesting. And that is how that 2020 law establishing social equity licenses came about, and that 2021 law establishing these capital programs to include the loan, cannabis business loan program. 
Because in June of 2020, industry lobbyist Samantha Walsh represented both Black, Brown, and Red Badged, this organization, and Simply Pure during testimony before committees in the House and Senate on the social equity license legislation. And I went back as I was doing my research, and I found a little bit of what Samantha Walsh said in her testimony, again, for this social equity licensing. My name is Samantha Walsh. I'm here testifying on behalf of Wanda James, the owner of Simply Pure, the first um, licensed cannabis business owned by an African-American woman in the country, and um, a coalition of um, minority business owners within the cannabis industry called Black, Brown, and Red Badge. We're here to ask you to support this um, very critical piece of legislation. Now, that was before the House committee. Now, the Senate. People of color, particularly business owners of color, are still systemically kept from being able to access capital when other people can. And add on to that, being a marijuana business owner, capital is increasingly difficult to access. So while we understand the importance of this bill and we are so supportive of it and we have worked very hard to get these definitions across the table, we also want the legislature to consider for next year a program that is comprehensive and provides capital support to these companies so that they can succeed and they have the tools to move forward. Notice that she stressed here their efforts to get these definitions for social equity across the table. And she urged the legislature to provide capital support for the industry. What happened next? The following year, the Senate and the House passed what Governor Polis signed into law, Senate Bill 21-111, establishing capital support programs for the pot industry, particularly those with social equity licenses, including this cannabis business loan program. Now, in February of 2021, the executive director of Black, Brown, and Red Badged, Hashim Coates, another associate of Tay Anderson's, by the way, delivered the only public testimony to the Senate Appropriations Committee in support of that bill. He was the only one to testify before the legislature about this bill in 2021, underscoring how important their role was in creating this cannabis loan program in the first place. Here is Hashim Coates before the Senate Appropriations Committee. My name is Hashim Coates, and I present and I represent the Black, Brown, and Red Badge organization, um, affectionately referred to as BBRB. BBRB is a coalition of licensed cannabis business owners of color. Our members are mostly um, small mom-and-pop operations. Our mission is not just to maintain our numbers, but to increase those numbers. So there are some more faces that look like the bill sponsors in mind in positions of influence in the cannabis industry. I'm here today to testify in support of this legislation on behalf of BBRB. And how did he present the value of this legislation and, in particular, the role of their organization? Last year, our organization worked incredibly hard in the waning days of session to pass the definition of social uh, equity licenses in the cannabis industry. We saw this effort as crucial to the overall mission of social justice in which legislation was formed and critical to the rewriting of the wrongs of the drug war, a war that was intentionally waged in communities of color. We are glad that Colorado realizes the importance of this um, position of social justice and that we can finally begin to take steps 
to move on from the harmful practices of marijuana prohibition, which oppress marginalized communities, and instead focus on lifting those communities up now. Um, so we first approached last year, sorry, we were first approached last year by the governor's office for policy ideas on further social equity and most, and the most critical policy that we put forward as an organization was a loan program modeled after the SBA that exists for local and federal level for other industries. We're thrilled to see this idea being implemented in this program. So he says there, the governor's office approached us for ideas on further social equity. And the most critical proposal that we put forward was this loan idea. They were so influential that State Senator Julie Gonzalez praised Hashim Coates and BBRB. Senator Gonzalez. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I do just want to uh, extend my appreciation um, to Mr. Coates and to everyone in uh, the BBRB to BBRC to for their efforts um, uh, on this on this uh, on this Senate Bill 111. Let, let's just put the pieces together here from what we just heard. CU Regent Wanda James, her dispensary, Simply Pure, secured an initial loan from the very program crafted by her organization, as we just heard from Hashim Coates and Senator Gonzalez in that 20, those 2021 clips, and a program that was explicitly intended for social equity licensees as defined by criteria that BBRB helped previously previously helped the legislature create. And, of course, the governor signed both bills. And we just heard both Samantha Walsh and Hashim Coates talk about their role in getting the definitions for social equity across the finish line. And here's the thing. Wanda James is extraordinarily well-connected politically. She managed Jared Polis's first congressional campaign. She served on Barack Obama's 2008 National Finance Committee. She played a key role in early marijuana policy on Governor John Hickenlooper's task force for Amendment 64 and on Polis's transition team for his governorship on marijuana policy. By the way, despite her extensive industry experience and policy knowledge here, her own record in the industry hasn't been exemplary. She agreed in February 2021 to a rare thing, something called, a, see here, a assurance of voluntary compliance after her company failed an underage check at her pot shop promising that Simply Pure will follow the law. Two employees had their licenses suspended, but Wanda James dodged the typical penalties without so much as a slap on the wrist. There's a whole story there that actually involves Sashim Coates as well. That's for another time. Even so, she alleged, quote, bias and unfair targeting as a business of color and questioned how well the regulators were adhering to guidelines. Hmm. Caught with her hand in the cookie jar, and she blamed the ones who caught her. 
Throughout her 2022 campaign for Denver's CU Regent, by the way, she also frequently highlighted her experience. She made it a big part of the campaign. When she won the Democratic Party's nomination, she eagerly tweeted in all caps, Dispensary Owner Wins! As though that fact had any real pertinence to her race. And now as a region, according to the website Yellow Scene, Wanda James now, quote, hopes to have open discussions around plant medicine like marijuana through her position on the board. So I I wondered about the decision-making process for awarding these loans since James has her political connections, her industry experience connections, and is an elected official. So I went to the governor's Office of Economic Development and International Trade, which oversees the cannabis business office and wanting to understand how loans uh, were done, how the loan recipients were chosen, criteria for eligibility, things like that. I also wanted to know and ask questions regarding who makes the decision and whether the governor weighed in. And I received a statement that didn't include much, quoting the spokeswoman, Cannabis business loans are awarded to established social equity licensed cannabis businesses based on overall merit. As the lender, New Project, a privately owned lender, by the way, to minority owned marijuana businesses, evaluates and approves loan applications based on the overall merits of the businesses and their ability to pay back the loans. I didn't really find that adequate. So I reached out to Polis's spokesman. He referred me back to the Office of Economic Development and International Trade. So the next day, back on November 3rd, I emailed Wanda James directly. I said, hey, I want to discuss the optics of obtaining the loan with her longstanding political relationship to Polis and given her elected position as a CU regent. She responded and she said, quote, feel free to send me the questions. So I emailed several. How many of you want to bet that by today, as of this moment of yours truly hosting, on the 14th of November, 11 days later, that I got an email response? Nope. Still waiting. Even after I sent a follow-up email last Friday. We heard the audio from Samantha Walsh, industry lobbyist representing Wanda James organization and her company regarding the 2020 social equity legislation. We heard Hashim Coates testify about the 2021 legislation authorizing these loans. And now we know that Wanda James company was one of the first two to receive these low interest loans. So let's just be real and clear here. Wanda James not only shaped social equity licenses and shaped this exclusive cannabis loan program, but she snagged one of the first two loans, which clearly raises questions about the sway of influence and connections. Uh, Coloradans, of course, deserve nothing less than clear and straightforward answers as a right in my Gazette column today. But this is a prime example of sketchy behavior that is now going on in the state of Colorado. 
under full Democrat leadership. Deeply problematic. Folks need to be held for account. And, of course, we need to make sure that there's oversight. There are a lot of questions here to be answered. I'm going to stay on this story, an important one to bring to your attention, to be sure. Is CU Regent Wanda James cashing in on her clout? That's a question I'm posing. You can answer that one yourself. We're going to take a break. When we come back, let's get to economics. Let's talk inflation as we're joined by E.J. and Tony of the Heritage Foundation. Keep it right here. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you on News Talk 710 KNUS. Ah, one of the great classics of all time, Johnny B. Good by the great late Chuck Berry. Bringing us back, Jimmy Sangenberger here with you. News Talk 710 KNUS. So we got some inflation data, and on the surface, it looks a little bit better than before. In that for the last month, consumer prices overall were flat, and they rose 3.2% from a year earlier, according to the Wall Street Journal, which is a slower pace than in September, this data from the Labor Department. However, there's more to this story than meets the eye, especially when you look at core inflation standing at 4% twice the target rate of 2% that the Federal Reserve seeks. CNBC summed it up a little bit this way when it comes to that 4% number. What I would consider potentially the most important, even though it's ex-food and energy's year-over-year CPI, 4%. One-tenth lighter than we were expecting. One-tenth lighter than our last look, which was 4.1. And the metric there, and this is a biggie, we haven't been under 4% since May of 2021. Yes, under 4% since May of 2021. What's going on here? And how does this inflation data fit in to the earnings picture? Let's talk about it with E.J. Antoni, who's a research fellow in the Heritage Foundation's Grover M. Herman Center for the Federal Budget. Good afternoon, E.J. Welcome to uh, welcome back to KNUS. Good to talk with you always. Thank you for having me back. So what are we looking at here, sort of big picture? What are you noticing, E.J.? Well, unfortunately, it's a continuation of the trend that the American family uh, is becoming poorer and you know has so for the last two and a half years. If you look at how much faster prices have risen than earnings, and you combine that with all of the increased borrowing costs we now have, whether it's on, on credit cards or on mortgages, auto loans, student loans, you name it, you put this all together and you find that the typical American family is effectively $7,400 poorer today than they were in January of, of 2021. And for the life of me, I just don't see how we can call that a victory. Uh, this is striking, particularly given that we are heading into 2024 before we know it. And you think of the COVID era and when that wrapped up, we were still dealing with some things in 2021, but it was paring down. And yet now we have this inflationary picture that still is showing 
a significant burden on the average American. I mean, when we look at the earnings data, EJ, that's that's quite a picture, isn't it, in terms of inflation or the rise in prices versus what people are bringing home? Exactly. And, and when you want to talk about what people are bringing home versus versus what they're getting paid, if you look at hourly earnings, right, the average amount that, that the American people are taking home per hour of work, uh, they actually lose more to inflation on their hourly wages right now than they do in federal income taxes. Think of that. You know, inflation is a hidden tax. We don't call it that a lot of times, but that's what it is. It's a transfer of wealth from you to the government. And that hidden tax of inflation now robs you of more of your hourly earnings than federal income taxes does. I mean, that's just astounding. But that's where we are today. How would you say, E.J. and Tony, that the federal budget picture fits in and the government spending into this issue of rising prices, especially given as we now look before we know it will be at $40 trillion in the federal debt. But the interest cost on that debt alone is astronomical and all these things roll in together. Well, a- absolutely. You know, we got here by the government spending, borrowing, and creating much too much money. And that has caused the the high inflation rates. It has caused the high interest rates. It has caused a banking crisis, a a housing, a homeownership affordability crisis. You name it, almost all of our economic ills today, if not all of them, you can trace to government spending too much money the last several years. And so the, the only solution to that is to reverse the cause, which means cutting government spending. To your point, though, on just how bad the interest on the debt has gotten, it is over a trillion dollars a year. It has gotten so bad that it is now consuming 40% of all personal income taxes. I mean, this is just absolutely insane. We are very quickly approaching the point where this is going to start snowballing. And once that happens, there's almost nothing you can do to stop it. In terms of that federal debt picture, what can actually be done at this point to right the ship? I'm almost at that that point where I'm looking at it and saying, is it too late already? Is there any way to address this at this point, especially without the political will necessarily to do some of the big to make some of the big decisions that need to happen? Well, unfortunately, you never quite know when your momentum is just so much that it's going to take you over the falls and then there's nothing you can do. That point of no return has proven to be different for different countries around the world at different periods of time. Now, that being said, I don't think we're quite there yet. I think we still have time, but you just don't know how much time. And that's why it's so imperative that you act as soon as possible. Right now, I, I don't I don't see the political will, unfortunately, to do what needs to be done. But you know, we have to remember politicians are people too, just like you and I, and they operate on on incentives, just like you and I and all your listeners do. And so, if the American people create the political incentive for these people to do the right thing, then they will do the right thing. But that means essentially you have to threaten them. If you don't cut spending, I will vote you out of office. Again, E.J. Antoni, Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation, joining us. Uh, Let's talk more about the spending cuts. I mean, what needs to happen in order to make an actual difference? Because a lot of times we hear, 
uh, let's cut programs at the margins. We should get rid of this thing or that thing and get rid of pork barrel spending and what have you. But that's not talking about entitlements. That's not talking about the other mandatory expenditures, including interest on the debt, as you said, crossing above a trillion dollars a year. I mean, how do we actually like if, if Congress were to do what they need to do, what might that entail? Well, the waste, fraud, and abuse, I think, is low-hanging fruit. So, you know, you can you can do that, and you should do that first and foremost. In, in terms of entitlements, I, you know, I don't see anybody uh, calling for revoking anyone's social security checks, right? But what I do see, and what needs to happen, uh, is that we need to wind down these programs. Social security needs to eventually go away. Now, if you're already on social security, or if you're close to retirement. You know what? You, you've been promised that money. You're planning on it. Uh, we, we need to make good on that as a society. But for folks who are in their 20s, 30s, maybe even their early 40s, uh, I'm sorry, but you just can't count on Social Security. And if you want to say, oh, no, we can't touch these things. They need to stay in place forever. If you really think the Ponzi scheme can last forever, then guess what? It's going to destroy itself anyway, because by the time a 20-year-old today is ready to retire, there's not going to be any money left in Social Security for them. And so they're essentially going to get peanuts no matter what. We might as well wind down these programs now versus the forced cuts that are going to have to come later. Yeah, it's one of those things, and I'm in my 30s, so I resonate well with what you were saying. It's one of those things where I remember in 2005 – George W. Bush, fresh off winning re-election, spent all his political capital trying to reform Social Security. He botched how he did it behind the scenes and really made it impossible for him to get that done. But now we're nearly 20 years after that, and still we have just been kicking the can down the road. But the problem, of course, is the politics of this are very tenuous. And that's where the American people need to speak up and say, you got to make the real changes and show a willingness to accept that those changes need to be made. But EJ Antonio, as we wrap up with you, when we look at sort of the inflationary picture here, uh, where do you think we're going to be headed? Any sense for that, especially with now talk that the Federal Reserve may cease their boosts in the uh, in Interest rates, they've been hiking them uh, for months now and may stop because of the at least slightly better, but still way off and problematic inflationary picture. Well, you know, I really thought that they were going to continue hiking. And, and I think it's been made clear after the last meeting and also the different comments that have been made by Powell and company uh, that they just don't have the stomach to do it. And, and a colleague of mine, uh, who, who had previously corrected me and said, I think you're giving the Fed too much credit. You know what? He was right. The Fed has proven that they do not have the spine. They do not have the political will to stand up to their political masters and to cause a recession in an election year. So unfortunately, this means that we're going to trade off uh, uh, what should be done for further inflation. That seems to be always the case these days ej antoni research fellow at the heritage foundation always great to check in with you thanks so much for sharing some insights and perspectives this afternoon no no thank you for having me once again ej antoni joining us on the program research fellow in the heritage foundation's grover m herman center for the federal budget maybe that's some tough thing to hear when he was talking about social security 
But those kinds of decisions need to be made. Unfortunately, we have prominent Republicans like Trump and DeSantis who are just unwilling to even talk about the issue substantively of reforming Social Security, let alone finding a way to sort of phase it out for younger folks. It needs to be done. What do you think, though? 303-696-1971. Would you get behind a political push to make major changes long-term to Social Security? Or is that something you say, nope, hands off, figure out another way to do this debt thing, which, by the way, there isn't really much of another way to do this debt thing and to fix it, for sure. Also, in the story about Wanda James, CU Regent, cashing in on her clout? Seems like it's possible. What do you think about that story? We've got conversations that can come up on either topic and more as we go to the phones. If you want to call in at 303-696-1971. And you can text in on the 710-KNUS app on your smartphone. Keep it right here. Jimmy Sangenberger, News Talk, 710-KNUS. With the best bumper music known to man, I'm Jimmy Sangenberger here with you on 710 KNUS. Little Kebmo singing about the dirty, low down, and bad as we continue. A lot of things going on in D.C. are dirty, low down, and bad. This story from the top of the show on CU Regent Wanda James, dirty, low down, and bad. At least that's what it seems like. And in that story, I did get a text from Steve in Littleton. Jimmy, I'm shocked that you suggest that you and I couldn't get the same sweet deal as Ms. James. Keep up the pressure. That's Steve in Littleton. Uh, And if you're just joining us earlier, I talked about the subject of my column for the Denver Gazette today. See your regent Wanda James getting a real nice loan, low interest loan, one of the first two given out under a state program under the cannabis business office and a cannabis business loan program. And her organization, at least that used to be in existence, black, brown and red badged was responsible for crafting this loan program and she just so happens to get it get one of the first two loans that was given out and her organization and her company were both involved in shaping this social equity licensing scheme for pot shops and other pot industry businesses that provide the basis for the loan program it's just Absolutely. There's, as, as we say in one of the Jimmy Jr. Blues Band songs, there's some shady business going on here. There's also shady business going on with the federal budget. We talked with E.J. Antoni in the last segment about the inflation picture and, of course, what's going on with the government spending and the whole issue of Social Security. And we've got Bob in Aurora calling in on this topic. Good afternoon, Bob. What's up? How you doing, Jimmy? Doing fine, hey. sir. You know... I just kind of uh, always get a little bit irritated when I hear about Social Security and, you know, that we're going to have to kind of, uh, you know, somewhere along the line, people are going to have to say where it's not going to be with us anymore. But, you know, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of strange that we pay into it all our lives and they people talk about it like it's an entitlement, you know. Uh, Well, you are entitled, in theory, the way that you would look at it as an entitlement is you are entitled to the money that you put in. 
Right, right. So, you know, I mean, I think there's going to be a revamping of it. I mean, let's face it, the, you know, I agree with you on one thing. we got a lot of criminals up there in uh, Washington, and they probably had their we times, you know, and that's why we have the problem with Social Security, I believe. Well, one of the big issues with Social Security is that you have an aging population at the top end and fewer young people that are replacing them in the workforce. And so if that's the case, then that means there are fewer people paying into the program, and especially because we've often seen the all-knowing, all-powerful federal government dis, uh, dip into the federal or rather the Social Security trust fund, pull out money for other spending purposes, give it an IOU and say you're going to get money back. Um, that's why I, I think that if you listen to and Tony describe it as a Ponzi scheme, long term, I think that is the case. But even even if we didn't phase it out, even if we just had reforms, Bob, I don't think that there is that political will in D.C. to make any sort of reforms, which is why longer term you're going to have folks who are, say, in their 30s like me or younger, who very likely aren't going to see much Social Security no matter how much we put into it. Well, that's true, and I understand your point on that, you know. But I think I'm 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 in favor of the reform, and part of the reform should be guys. Let's cut out all the all the fat we've got up there, you know, in uh, in Washington, and all these crazy programs we spend on, uh, you know. Well, but Bob, I mean, the problem with doing that is those programs are just tiny fractions of the federal budget when most outlays go to four areas, Social Security, Medicare, national defense, and interest on the debt. Everything else is just, it's not quite a rounding error, but it's close to being a rounding error. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. There's, But, you know, I mean, there's what, when you stop and think about it, Jimmy, you know, if we were really paying attention to our budget up in Washington, like, by God, we have to pay attention to our budgets with our families and whatnot. You know, I just believe there, there's plenty of money there to take care of our Social Security and our senior citizens. I just I just can't, you oh, know. The, I, the seniors today and those who are nearing that status of being seniors um, are just fine. There are no risks. There's no concern for their ability to get what they are owed. It is as you get younger in the generations that you start to say, okay, what's really happening here and what are the expectations? And I don't think that we can maintain the the false expectation for somebody who's just entering the workforce and starting to pay FICA taxes uh, that they are going to see that money come back to them. Well, that's true, but I, I would hope, you know, I mean, I'm in my 70s, so I mean, I, I would hope for your sake and the, the younger generation that's out there working and doing that today, I would hope that it would be there for them, you know, yeah. and I think there's got to be a way to resolve that problem, you know, I really, I really believe that, and, you know, I think that, I just think there's a lot of things that need to be done in Washington, I mean, I, it's not going to happen with uh, the administration we got in there, and it's going to take a while to, you know, rewrite the ship to be truthful with you. Uh, no, that's, space, that you know? is very, very true, Bob. Hey, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jimmy. 303-696-1971, our telephone number if you want to get into the festivities. Uh, Eric, the great American in Stapleton, 
texting in at the end of the interview with E.J. Antoni. Jimmy, not once did I hear your guest mention how rich we all were when President Trump was in the White House. Now, I don't know how rich, but how well off people were, certainly by comparison. Absolutely. Now, that is a fair point, except here is how Antoni did bring it up. Because he mentioned that under the Biden administration, the typical American family has lost $7,400 in annual income. That ought to tell you where things were at under the policies of the previous administration, the Trump administration, that included the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which reduced the tax burden on everyday Americans and on corporations. That create businesses. So I think in a in a different way that did actually come up, acknowledging the big difference between how people were doing pre Biden compared to where they are now. Three years into the Biden presidency, but a fair point nonetheless. Now, as we look at. The situation in Washington, D.C. What is going on with the dysfunction there when it comes to being able to figure out, okay, what do we do with the federal spending packages, appropriations bills that need to get done? Unfortunately, Republicans are delayed because of the speaker fight in that regard. But I hope that there is some value, that there is some value in the delay and that we get some good things through from the appropriate. Right now is the time for spending cuts. This is literally the time for spending cuts. Hopefully that will happen in D.C. with these appropriations bills. Meanwhile, I have to get this little clip in. Gavin Newsom, the governor of of California. The other day we were talking about how San Francisco streets are magically being cleaned up. Well, Newsom admitted why they're magically being cleaned up. I know folks say, oh, they're just cleaning up this place because all those fancy leaders are coming into town. Um, That's true because it's true. But it's also true For months and months and months prior to APEC, we've been having different conversations. (laughs) That's true because it's true. Is it really true because it's true? (laughs) But he admitted it out loud. See what happens. You have the all-star game come to Denver. They clean up the streets of the decaying city. You have Xi Jinping, the ruler of China. Come into San Francisco tomorrow. What do they do? They clean up the streets of San Francisco because His Excellency Xi Jinping is coming to town as well as President Biden. It's the way the game is played. And it could be said, cleaning the streets for she, but not for thee. Why not? Why do average people get cut out of the deal? 
Only when the big-time events or big-time leaders come to town do they do what they should be doing on a regular basis. <sighs> Speaking of that meeting, we'll talk with Kelly Sloan tomorrow about it and Taiwan and its pivotal importance. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. Have a great rest of the day. Brandon Tatum up next. God bless America. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.